Welcome back to this special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 140, and I'm joined online once again by my co-host, Sneaky Pete. Sneaky Pete, how are you tonight? Hey, Bruce. I'm doing well. Um, Wow. 140, man. That's Pop the champagne. It's uh, it's all good things yeah. here. So, Indeed. Um, I, We're excited to be back, folks, uh, with everything Magic the Gathering here. If you like what you're hearing... Our content is at the Lotus Council website, thelotuscouncil.com, and on some discords and servers out there on the webs. Bruce, go for it. All right. Uh, so, folks, if you ever decide you want to get a hold of us, please check the show notes for how to email us or reach us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we'd love to hear how you interact with us. Uh, nothing can make us disappear. Um, and uh, believe it or not, we passed over 5,000 downloads today. So that's kind of a big accomplishment for us. Yay! Hey, round of applause. Yeah, yeah indeed. Right, let's start with some garbage or great. Huh? Do I got Pete. All right. Up next, we have, first we have this card. We have Witch of the Moors, which is for three black. You get a creature, human warlock. It's a four-four with death touch, and it says at the beginning of your end step, if you gain life this turn. Each opponent sacrifices a creature, and you return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So, what do you, what do you think of this? This seems the, interesting, doesn't it? The flavor text says it all: many hands for many evils. I'm just imagining the the mm -hmm. uh, shouldered player, the like playing the old seven mana one, and just recurring that with Witch of the Moors by sacking a creature oh. with Seer or Blood Artist or something silly. Oh, um, or cloning this four times and making people trigger it, and just getting all of your creatures back from the grave. So, so. not cloning it once, cloning it four times. <laughs> no, I mean, like, the the open energy and the synergy here is very very strong. Mm -hmm. Um, so audience, like the fact that this doesn't trigger on like unique keywords, it doesn't hinge on proliferate or set specific mechanics. It's just when you gain life, which is something that may, like we is in every cool. every every set has it, and then you return card, you sacrifice your opponent sacrifices things, and you return things to your hand. So there's just like this is just an open ended synergy card that's going to play in lots lots of strategies. Um, so if you're any sort of life gain, or you can tr or you have an ability to trigger it repeatedly, you're going to want to entertain which of the moors is being a card. That you can, you can make use of. I think it's hilarious that this card was only like it was printed in the list and printed on Jumpstart, right. and it was the only places you find this card. So I think this card is very strong. Like these, like these are just good. Like the price four four, like sorry four four for five with Death Touch. Those are very reasonable stats for very a creature, stats. right? And um, the text, the text there's nothing about the text on the card that you wouldn't want, right? Right, and it's a human too, so like yeah. it's easily paired in tribal decks that have black in them. Um, and then, like like Bruce said, it's it's one of those cards like you play it and it's immediately impactful. So I think mm -hmm. it is not garbage. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great too. So that's pretty pretty straightforward. All right, what did you find tonight? All right, so this is another cheap. Uh, bargain card I like to call them like you know you'd find them in, in your 20 cent rare boxes it's from Weatherlight one of my favorite of all time sets lore wise and uh, magic related 
It's called Downdraft. This is a green enchantment for two colorless and one green pip. Uh, it, you can pay one green and activate it. Target creature loses flying until end of turn. And you can sacrifice Downdraft. It deals two damage to each creature with flying. Um, this is really funny to me. Bruce and I were talking about this, but this is a politically charged card <laughs> before oh. politics were a thing in, in Magic. Um, in regards to, you could play this in a deck where you're playing big low-to-the-ground threats and you're just messing with people's flyers and making them block your creatures or uh, you, they attack you with their evasive creature thinking they got you and you can just activate this ability and they're like, I have to read the card twice. They're like, what is this thing? What is this silly 20-cent card? But I think it's very, very good for, for its price and its mana cost. Yeah, I agree. I think this is like the, the, the political actually, political games this loose card to lead to is particularly interesting. Um, also, one of the things that green often gets into is that if you're getting into a heavy green deck, you may not have a lot of ways to, to, to deal with flying creatures. So that your opponent who's on a Giada deck or who's on a, a, a Demon's deck or a Dragon's deck, things that have lots of flying creatures, a green deck or a green red deck won't have a hard time coping with those sorts of deck, like that sort of opposition. So having some sort of silver bullet that's difficult for your opponents to interact with that is going to allow you to handle flying creatures and drag them down to your big stoppy creatures is going to ultimately behoove you a great deal. And you could use it on other players' turns. So if somebody's getting attacked with you know a big scary flying creature. You just go to be downdrafts, and then oops, now your thing can be blocked, and your opponent is angry with you. Like I think it's really neat effect. Um, I think the secondary effect of sacrificing it to essentially um, pyrotize and fully flying creatures is probably less useful. I will cite the one example of Alila, the um, the brawl commander from Eldraine that makes fairy tokens. Yes. It this poses the fairies. This poses sure. the fairies, and that's really going to set Alila back. I was um, also going to say uh, the Lotus mm -hmm. God, another huge example oh, of annoying yeah. 1 1 flyers, and like Thopter tokens. If someone is doing Brutaclad or another uh, artifact token related deck, um, what's that? Brea? Uh, yeah, Brea. The, the one that has Sans Green with no green. It's the four color commander that makes tokens. Um, yeah. I think she makes fly uh, Thopters, right? Yeah, she did stop her too. So, that's, so another, like, that's another interesting kind of pose effect, I guess, of the card. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're just getting extra value tacked on your card, and so like in a situation like the like the Locust God, where the Locust God player is going to go off and they're going to clamp, they're going to clamp their bugs, make a million, draw a million cards that like draw their whole deck and make a million bugs. This is like the ultimate equalizer to them, just to. Nuke all the bugs before they can get out of control. So, um, Scoot Swarm would also suffer a similar. No, sorry, flying, not flying. My mistake. But yeah, um, Locust God for sure would be a big, big, big reason to make sure that you have this in your deck if you routinely face down a Locust God card. So, right. I think it's a really interesting card. I think I probably let's see how many decks is being played in because I don't know. I didn't really look carefully. It's in 132 decks. Like, essentially, that's like a zero. Right. So, I feel like that's probably not correct. That this has some pretty good, pretty good utility, and for the price, you probably can't go wrong. No. Um, let's see the popular commanders real quick as well, if there are any. 
Um, it's weird. There's not enough data, right? So the only card I see, it says high synergy cards, Grolnok the Omnivore, which is that card. Sure. I don't really think that synergizes well. Like, that's no. not really a synergy piece. That's just a card that plays it. So Yeah, so I'm just like, let's see. Does it show commanders here? I don't think so. There's really not not much no, data on it. No. Kind of funny. Anyway, interesting card. Super interesting card, and uh, I'm glad you found it. So that maybe gives people some food for thought. Um, I'm looking at the other similar cards that play. Like, they're all, they're not, they're very much not. Uh, Here's not an interesting one. Um, Eutropia, the twice favored. That's that human wizard uncommon from Theros up beyond. Which Death. is which is a very good which is a very good one. So that okay. might be that might be reason to, to slide in to yeah. damage, right? For sure, yeah. commander damage even if they have a blocker. That's yeah. a neat aggressive way to do it. I like that. That's yeah. Cool. Or like Rith the Awakener. Uh, making sapling tokens makes sense. Is this for a dirty thought? Talk about you ground all your green creatures, and then you hurricane and all your flyers, and then hurricane away the the flyers of your opponent's board. <laughs> You're uh, that's naughty. That's not that's, that feels like a really fun to me. One sided yeah. work like 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 hurricanes sound like fun to me. Yeah, you give um, them the archetype of imagination, like you just donate it to them. You know. Ooh. Like, uh, here you go. You want to fly? Here's a fly. Oh no! Now I'm gonna down. Now I'm gonna hurricane your stuff away. You will be dead. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think hurricane gets enough love either. I think hurricane's a pretty funny card. It is for sure. Yeah. So, what are we talking about tonight, Bruce? So I thought it be a good opportunity. Would be a good opportunity for us to talk about if you're a new player. And let's give our advice here is for players who are newer to the game. Getting in commander, you may not have some huge collection at this point. How to best spend your money to maximize your collection? And that's what I thought we might go tonight. How do you build your, how best to build your collection? Um, you know, particularly that uh, things used to be things used to be a lot simpler. Right. Um, now with the booster fun era and so many different types of packs and so many products, do you buy secret layers? Do you buy draft packs? Do you buy Set pot boosters, do you buy CBs? There's so many options that are out there that is pretty daunting, even for someone like me who's an established player. So, I can understand that somebody who's a newer player getting into the game, they're like, I just want some advice. What's the best way for me to build my collection and, and, and maximize my dollar? Yeah, so, cool. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking me that question. We'll, yeah. we'll get to that. But let's, let's start with when you started playing, Pete, how did you? Go about building your collection when at that stage of you know the magic sort of evolution of the game. Yeah, so I started six years ago now, man. Man, it's almost been. I know it's at least half a decade. I know that for a fact. Um, and when I started playing, first I started with friends, right? So normally most players will start when other people they like actually like to hang out with are playing the game mostly. Um. And then it kind of evolves from there. So I just had friends give me a few cards, right, just to see and see if I was interested. And then we went to the first LGS I went to in the local area I was at at the time. And um, I ended up buying, they had those guild kits, Bruce, if you remember those. They were like before Commander Precons existed in the brevity that they do now. Um, we, uh, we used to buy those 60-card preconstructed standard kind of modern sort of deck 
They were like, yeah, Mulgari Guild Kit and the the Rakdos Guild Kit and everything like that. So I bought the Demir one, which is blue black, and then um, I started with that. And I got my first set of sleeves, and and then I was telling Bruce before the show as well um, when we were just evaluating how we got into this. I used to set a, a limit, like every two weeks, five dollars, and then. It grew into like okay, I, my buddy finally convinced me after half a year to start Commander. So I was like, okay, if I'm gonna build my first Commander deck, how do I build one that that actually can do something, but on a budget? So I picked Alesha. If you don't know Alesha, it's uh, that Mardu uh, Tiny Leaders Commander, which it's like a a two three with first strike. You can swing and recur something from your graveyard by paying two uh, two mana or whatever. And uh, it was easy for me to build that because I I could just buy a bunch of twenty cent cards and fill my deck that way um yeah and then slowly but surely i started to upgrade and started to do a lot of research and we'll get into these points later but i guess i was diligent with my budget i knew exactly what i wanted and i was uh, assertive in my decision making so to be, to be frank so on my end i started playing initially as a kid when i was so i was when revised was the sets i was the set those out so I remember vividly revised Fallen Empires, Chronicles, Ice Age. Like these are like some of like the worst sets ever. Just folks. <laughs> like it's, am- it's amazing that I like, persisted in playing. Um, and I remember I sort of gave it up around Mirage. Like Mirage or they introduced phasing, and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I stopped. Um, and did other things, including went to school and refereed hockey and ran sp- and, and played sports and everything else. Uh, and then in 2012, I was working at a summer camp. And I still work there to this day. Uh, and I had some of my counselors playing. And I said, hey, I recognize that game. You can play too. And there it was. I ended up having to get... Now, because I wasn't in a city at the time, I had to get things ordered to me at camp. Um, but I had some voices like... Checking out the new cards and building new decks. I remember I one of the very first decks I built was from Thomas uh, Restored and Dark Ascension was a blue white spirits deck, and <laughs> and, I, and it wasn't very good. Like the, the curve was too high, and but I remember like being very proud of myself that I built this like uncolored thematic two color deck. So um, now when I got back to the city, I I made a real real point of trying to brew standard decks and the very discovered very quickly um that i really couldn't um because i was trying to brew some budget standard decks because i didn't want to spend a lot of money similar to, to pete now and then what happens to standard if you don't if you brew budget standard decks you're really just brewing a bad deck so um i remember after con's block I essentially gave up trying to play standard. Right. So I guess I tried for two years, and I reconnected with my friends who used to play with kids, um, and we were just sort of jamming random random piles of cards together. And I guess I decided, like, you know, with rotation looming, I was like, hey, I, I can't get into new standard and buy a whole lot of whatever the new set is. Maybe I should play Commander. And that's where it started. I... I Got into standard. I got out of standard and was playing commander because the pace of collection was slower. I didn't have to stay on top of the newest current tech or 
the latest, coolest, greatest thing. I could build things at my pace and play cards, play my cards instead of, and, and that's where, and that's sort of where I've evolved from and how I still evolve to this day. Um, so sure. I, you know, that's, that's sort of my story. I've, I've learned a lot about how to play the game. And so, you know, my deck construction process reflects that, but, um, at the time I had nobody to guide me. I didn't have any, I had to convince my friends to play commander. And they're like, I don't know about that. I think, I, I think we should play modern. And I'm like, I don't think modern's for us. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, uh... so. I remember, like, I would spend hours, Bruce, because I didn't know, like, I had maybe one person I knew that played Commander more regularly at the time. And even he doesn't play that much anymore, so it's it's hard, but um, I would just research, like, on Scryfall, on the search engines. I think mm -hmm. for those mm -hmm. EDS, yes. not so much, but when Tapped Out was bigger before Moxfield became a fully functioned thing and uh, Architect and stuff, I would really look at Scryfall and just search cards um, and go to like Magic the Gathering's website. Yeah, get, the, yeah the Gatherer. Yeah, for sure. And, and just look up random stuff and see what cards said and what people are saying about these cards. And then when YouTube became bigger with the more like, you know, professional play and stuff, um, I watched, I only got recently into videos in the last year. Um, but yeah. it's more so just the grassroots of like, asking friends asking people you play with at the lgs asking owners of shops that play the game or know about the game what are some suggestions i I've, a lot of people that i've met are willing to help new players in a a positive way and they'd rather you stay in the game the game is meant to keep people together not break us apart because we want to win all the time um it was really nice to see these more experienced players and then i became that experienced player that i would tell these mm -hmm. young, younger players hey like I was drafting with a few guys a few weeks ago. I'm like, hey guys, like, this is how I kind of started my collection because they were like, you have some really sick cards in your binder. And I was like, yeah, so this is like how I did it on, on a budget and how I traded up for cards and saved some money up and set some like mm -hmm. money aside for special occasions to be able to pick up some of the more staples of the format. Um, I'm just grateful for the people along the way too that gave me cards for free, you know, or like yeah, yeah, gave yeah. me draft chaff that I was like grateful just to have it at the time, so it's really nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Now the question: Let's let's imagine a new player is coming to you today. There, Pete, sitting sure. down across you at LGS, and he goes, "Hey, Pete, should I be buying packs to build a collection?" So that's, um, always, that's always where people start. They see right. we get see packs, packs of cards. Yeah, right. it's five bucks should a pack. You know, it's, just, packs. it's probably like eight bucks a pack now with this economy, but. <laughs> But um, oh, dude, dude, with, don't, with joke, the, it don't joke because it probably is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I would tell them, listen, it's like gambling. You go to the casino, right? You're gonna set aside a certain amount of money, and you know you're probably gonna lose it with mm -hmm. buying a pack of magic cards. Unless you're just buying the pack to just have a, some of those cards, mm -hmm. it's best to buy, um, in in a in a bulk sense. What I mean by that is not just buying like a hundred uh, commons and uncommons, but pre-release kits are fantastic because it's 25 bucks or 30 bucks but you're guaranteed some solid stuff um you get dice with it sometimes now and uh, like a life counter and stuff so that's worth it in my opinion anything that accrues value um like a pre-con for commander is a perfect way for a commander player to start the game mm -hmm. in the general sense i would say um look in those boxes that they 
have on the side if they do still do this. Some shops don't, unfortunately. Um, yes. Like the dollar, the dollar, the dollar rares or the uh, twenty-five cent boxes. It's a great way to start on a budget. Um, or look on like those buy-listed uh, websites that do stuff like eBay or Facebook um, Marketplace, where you have people that you that you can trust um, by asking them questions. Hey, like, can I see a picture of this? Can you show me some of the cards or something? Um, rather than like, because the again the, the it's a business, right? So how do you maximize mm-hmm. your gains while minimizing your losses? As a store owner, you're just going to tell the people to buy packs, which is not a bad thing. Um, and it's fun to crack packs, all right? But I would say just be careful. Like, if you want to just throw away a, a 5 or 10 bucks, go for it. If you like the gambling aspect, just do it within your means, you know? Yeah, that's, that's key. To, 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 do, to stay, do, do know your means to stay within them. Um, not everybody's made out to crack tons of collector boosters. So just I'll never forget. That. One of these guys we used to play with when I was in college, he, I think he did it just kind of because he was immature and like didn't, he just wanted to be accepted in the group. He bought like, remember the Angels uh, constructed box they had? I forget yeah. what it was called. Yeah. yeah. It was like a hun- almost $100. Okay. It had like, I think, Avison and some other decent cards in it, but overall it was not worth the price um, of admission. So, he bought a bunch of these like sealed things, and the store store of course loved him because he's buying all this like fancy stuff or like top of the line stuff. But like, I bought a pre-constructed vehicles. Uh, remember that vehicles thing that they had a while ago? Yeah, uh, they took it was, yeah. yeah, that was worth it. Or like the cons box that that had like a few cards in it that were solid, and then yeah, and pre-constructed decks in it. Like that was worth it. Um, but again. I would just be careful, especially now if you do your research first. Like go on YouTube, uh, look at like some like the professors' videos are fantastic with newer players and stuff. And um, that's just something I think anyone should do in anything that they try to get into hobby wise, right? Do your research. Uh-huh. Yeah, do your research. So I would also add that in the era of the booster fun sort of era of magic, <laughs> oh, where, so, where there are so <laughs> many, so many oh. printings of cards. That if you probably want a card, there's probably a version of it that's cheaper. Yes. Like, like if you go look at a website and, and you're going to be shopping for a card, it probably comes in a regular pack foil, a pack, uh, sorry, a regular version, a pack foil, a borderless, it may come with some sort of alternate treatment, maybe mm-hmm. come with something else. And depending on how, let's say, um, exclusive various um types or various printings are it might be more it might be more expensive but there's probably that regular pack for the regular pack version or even nowadays sometimes the pack foil might be cheap and you can pick it up for a a couple of dollars and you know you build a little cart uh, and spend 10 bucks 20 bucks and you get you know a good chunk of what your deck's gonna be gonna look like you go okay um, and so maybe over the course of a couple of months, you say you, you you do that rather than you know popping packs. You'll probably save yourself quite a bit of money and get the cards you really want to play with. So um, can I add something too? Um, yeah, by all means. Buy used cards. That's what I did. Mm, like I bought yeah. ex- like cards that were on the the regular price, expensive, but I would get them like foreign foreign languages. Like 
I'd get a card that's worth thirty dollars, but I'd get it in Chinese or Japanese for six bucks or five bucks. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Buy buy used cards that are slightly worn or whatever, uh, lightly played or heavily played. Even I, I would do that too. Even if it was scratched up, I'm like, I don't care. I'm just gonna get the card because I just need one copy of it for Commander. Um, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me not to spend sixty dollars on a card that I can get for seven. It doesn't it doesn't look pretty? And I, the LGS so owners always laugh with me because I'd be like, "What what version do you want of the card?" I'm like, "Just give me your crappiest one." <laughs> like, yeah, I don't care. Sure. I don't care, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I, who am I to say? Like, I I'm just playing with them. I don't. It's, this is not like I'm not going pro. You know, it doesn't matter to me what the card. Exactly. Is. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that well, we're going to do that in a second. I, I, I'll add some uh, some other ideas to that in a bit. Sure. Um. Okay. So, but. And you know that there are people out there who like to crack product anyway. Right. What do you recommend to that guy who really likes to crack product and, 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 and open packs? Reward yourself, but um, if you're trying to play the game, uh, it might be best to balance it out. So, like, if you're going to go to a draft and you like, like, that's the perfect example because you can crack a pre-construct, pre like a, um, sorry, a, uh, like a pre, uh, a pre, like a kit, like a pre-release kit, you get to crack packs and you also get to play the game. So that's perfect. That's a perfect happy medium. Yeah, um, I think that I, would be I, a reasonable way to do it. You know. So lots of people get into the habit of like just buying a box, taking it home, and cracking it. I think if you're really looking to maximize your entertainment dollars, and that's that's what I look at it as that. As like magic is my entertainment dollars. Yep. Um, my entertainment dollars go further if I take my box home. And I open the packs with a friend or two, and we play pack wars, or we draft, or we do something right. else with them that's fun and cool. We fl we play flipping or ripping or and whatever, like, something where like we get a we have a big laugh about it and have some fun, and we still open the packs of the products and see what and 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 get the cool cards, right? So, um, you know, I would recommend to anybody who's if you're looking if you are looking to build your collection and you really like to crack products and you really enjoy that. Look up some of the ways that you can you can use your draft or your picks in a creative way to uh, to to further your experience and not just rip it open because like, twenty minutes later you're all done and you've got a pile of cards and now the process of of sorting them works goes into work instead of like just having fun. So yeah. that's my advice. Like do something with your with your crack pack your pack cracking, not just. Crack it for no value and 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 so I'm all done now. So anyway, um, yeah. where do you where do you buy cards in the United States, Pete? That you know, if somebody's yeah. listening and they're looking to get the best price on their cards, what would you recommend that they go where they go looking and shopping? So it's hard now because uh, TCG Player used to be the big go-to for all U.S. players, right? You you were linked yeah. to thousands and thousands of stores around the country. But now um, they have a subscription for like saving money on shipping and stuff. It's still very good. But I would say um, Card Kingdom is okay as well. That's another site. Star City is probably not the best, although it is the premium in terms of who, how they value cards over time. It's the sort of like end-all be-all when it comes to how much a card will cost. I would say start with TCG Player, and I would go for those local stores 
that are certified sellers. Um, they have a star yeah, after their yeah. name usually, and that's usually like I've never I've never been disappointed. And the customer service for TCG is actually fantastic. I've had a few times where they've sent me the wrong card or whatever, and they just ask you send it back and you'll get the card you need. But support your local stores first, I think primarily, um, and then online is great. A great se- second option if you're in a, a remote area or they don't have the cards you're looking for. Um, so I think. No matter where you go, I would not go to like Amazon or a big a big corporate seller no. like eBay no. because you're gonna get screwed um, eventually. Uh, someone's going to like overcharge you for a card that's not exactly the price. Yeah. One of my favorite places to go for overall like financial. Um, this is not the end all be all, but it's a nice place to see it. Is MTG stocks? People rag on it a little bit recently, but. They do a good job of keeping the market honest in regards to the playability of cards too. So there's a few options here. Um, and in Canada's probably different, right? Cardsphere, is that the big one? Uh, well, no. So well, Cardsphere is um, a peer-to-peer trading platform that um, because T- TCG Player is harder for Canadians to access, because we end up having to pay the cross-border ba- cross uh, duties on sales from the United States into Canada, the prices and the price ends up being expensive, um, far more so than you would like. Also, the fact that the American dollar is quite a bit stronger than the Canadian dollar, what looks like a good deal if it were in if it were, uh, you know, equivalent currencies. Once you figure in the exchange rate and the duty, shopping a TCG player or even Card Kingdom is actually probably not your best option. Now, Card okay. Kingdom is pretty good um, because if you want something like pretty high-end. Uh, my brother oh, ended up buying a, cu- buying a couple of, uh, of revised dual lands through Card Kingdom. Um, and he bought them through Card Kingdom because of exactly that. Their reputation, they're very reputable. So when he was going to go drop a four-digit sum of money on, on dual lands, um, he didn't want to just give it to some fly-by-night operation found on TCG Player. He's going to go give it to Card Kingdom, who if the order isn't right, they're going to make it right one way or the other. Sure. Um, so, you know, Card Kingdom has its, has its uses here in Canada, but we don't have a selling platform that is similar to TCG Player. Um, Cardsphere is a peer-to-peer trading platform that is uh, very different from the sense of TCG Player. They're moving more towards the model of having a buyer-seller relationship where I can go in and buy from another user, but that's still you still have to opt into that mode. If you don't want to opt into that mode, you can still um, have it as where the uh, the sender is the one who initiates the trade. I can put up a want list of the things that I want, um, but then that gets filled by some seller. Pardon me, who sees what I'm looking for and goes, "Oh, I, I like the price he's prepared to pay." I will ship it to that guy. So it's not perfect. Um, Puka Trade was another one who was similar that is now gone, now defunct, um, mm-hmm. but it was similar in that in the vein. Um, but here in Canada, we end up having to often shop from a retailer. Um, so whether it's face to face games or um, Fusion City Gaming in Winnipeg or someplace like that, like you end up having to shop from a retailer um, rather than some of the some of these other options, which are a little bit sort of smaller. 
Um, and increasingly, we don't have as many of the dollar bins and 10 cent bins, at least in the local play area that stores that I frequent. Um, I guess because storage of of cards like that is problematic and expensive. Um, they go in their inventory on Crystal Commerce or on whatever, and then you end up having to shop online um, to build your order and have it either you go pick it up at the store or have it mailed to you. So sure. it's a little bit different up here in Canada. Uh, just because of the the, the the differences in terms of uh, of how the the market works, um, mm-hmm. I still I still agree with you when you say Facebook Marketplace is a great place to go and find some good deals. Um, here in Canada, there's a number of MTG Canada only sale like sales platforms, and those are great places to find interesting sales on or or, or market prices on stuff. So. Um, I use those frequently. I've got a number of guys that I'm familiar with that, you know, they've proven to be pretty reliable chaps and they'll mail me me my cards and there's no hassle, no fuss. So it works out pretty well for everybody concerned. But it's a little bit trickier up here. Yeah. And I mean, I guess just be receptive and ask questions. I think if if we get anything Mm -hmm. tonight from us, from both of us, just it's okay to ask questions. Most people won't steer you wrong. And if they do, uh, Bring them to me, and I will straighten them out for sure. Um, what are you gonna do? Pete? You're gonna go over there, knock on the door. Uh, hey, man, gonna I'm gonna do that Pinkerton thing. All right, I'm just gonna oh, knock on oh, their oh, door and demand oh. for some payment. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> but, but um, I mean, Bruce, for for any any last words, I I think we've kind of we've kind of given a good I think overview of what to, what to look for. I'd say. I think I think we sort of touched on it. I mean, pre-cons, um, you know, bulk bins, um, looking for look like being smart and doing your research and looking into like what you're looking to, to really put together is going to be the best way to save yourself the dollars. Sure. Um, well, the other thing is uh, one last thing: like lands make the deck, so start with that. Oh, and then, true enough. And the other thing is a card that is a rare that does something probably has a common variant that does something similar. It's just slightly worse, objectively. But you can still use that common and have the same effect. Counterspells are the perfect example, right? Force of Will is the premium counterspell in Commander and most other formats um, that, that, is, that is legal in. But you can use a good old-fashioned counterspell or a common counterspell, um, in, and they print them in every single set. So I guess, again, looking at what your deck is trying to do, there's always budget options out there. So that's yes. That's the beauty yeah. of this game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really good, uh really good some really good tips there. Uh allowing people to try and, you know, but but do please take your time, yes. do your research, ask ask around to people in the community, uh don't rush into buying tons of products. Uh, that's you know, a fool a fool's way to end up um, you know, hurting and having your bank your bank account cry. So take your time, do your research. That you will find that you will find opportunities to um, to you know, have the cards you need out of a price that you're more willing to pay. Sure. And this this, this I was just gonna say this this next deck tech from our friend Bruce here is the perfect example of doing research and getting a nice deck for a hundred bucks. It's great. Yeah. So yeah. I was, I was sort of fooling around with uh, Rona, Herald of Invasion, which is the new Rona from March of the Machine, and she's really, really sweet. 
She's awesome. Um, and, and she's, you know, a reasonable, reasonable price, not crazy. She's three and a half dollars. Um, and she does, she's got lots of applicability and she can do some really cool stuff. Um, and so I'm like, all right, like, let's, let's, so let's see what I could do with this. And, you know, going through and building together a deck, I realized Rona is really quite interesting. Rona can lead you down a couple of different paths because she can be one part madness deck, one part reanimator, one part legend tribal. Yes. And all of these together are re they really appeal to me because you're going to do a lot of powerful things doing some of these mechanics. And Bruce, we both run this commander in standard brawl. It's a menace. It just it's destroys she, people. She's um, very good. So I love this deck, I'll be honest, looking more at the cards that you've added to it and replaced and stuff. Yeah. Like this is a deck I would totally run. You know what I mean? It's I, I would build this too. I would build this and I would happily play it. So it's not um, oppressive. It's it's great. No. And so let's read it. So Rona, so whenever you cast a legend, sorry, let's go back to this one. One in blue for one three, legend teacher human wizard. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap Rona Herald of Invasion. Right there, you should know that something silly is going to happen because it untaps itself. All right? So then draw a card, then discard a card. Well, this is the mechanic that's going to allow you to make use of, of um, madness and it's going to allow you to put, dump big things in your yard to reanimate. All right, and then you fight with a Phyrexian Black. You get to get Runnut's Larian Obliterator, who I fight fight with Trample, and it says whenever a source deals damage to Rona, Tolarian Obliterator, that source's controller exile the card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you can put it onto the battlefield under your capital, sorry, under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So you get free stuff off your opponents. If you turn this into Rona the Herald of uh, sorry, the uh, the Obliterator. So the whole deck is leaning into this idea of we're going to draw and discard, draw and discard, draw and discard, um, generate card advantage through a number of different means, and then um, overwhelm our opponents with with card with cards. Right? Um, there's a lot of legendary tribal synergies in this particular set. Or sorry, in this particular deck, so you're going to get, you know, Kaito is being the Kaito Dancing Shadow, which is the four mana Kaito mm -hmm. from um, Fraction All We Won. He allows you, again, draw cards and do other fun things. Tons of legendary creatures in the amongst the creature package. You have Arami, you've got Ashnod, you've got Braids, you've got Creator of Mysteries, Cyclonus, the Saboteur, tons of cool things um, that are going to do. But the one I think that Pete pointed out was a really good ability was Gixie and Puppeteer. So Gixie and Puppeteer says whenever you draw your second card each turn, each opponent loses two life, and you gain two life. So on your turn, you draw a card, and then you can activate Rona before uh, before you go ahead and um, go enter your attack phase or something. You can then... So you loot to draw... Triggering your Gixia Puppeteer, and then you can untap Rona by casting the legendary card you probably just drew, put it on the battlefield, and then draw and then do it again. Where you're going to draw a discard now, it may not trigger Gixia Puppeteer, but you have other things that are going to trigger off the card draw. Um, so that's all, all fine and well. Other things that are particularly nasty with this sort of build 
Um, Drake Haven and Dying to Serve are going to be payoffs for you discarding or cycling cards. Everyone mm -hmm. thinks that Drake Haven is a cycling matters card. It's not. It's discard a cycle discard. Uh, yes. And if you sort of every time you start pitching with with the with that loot, you can pay one and then make a Drake. Or mm -hmm. Dying to Serve makes a zombie. One of the C's is going to allow you to pile up counters and make Kraken tokens. Um, you're going to have a lot of ability. Uh, to finish Angel's Insight and Thought Reflection, whenever you draw a card, you're going to draw an additional card. So now you can refill your grip if you run, run low on cards. You know, whatever. Wizards class is going to make sure you don't run out of... Is going, to, going to make sure you don't have a maximum hand size. And then going to make anything you have a threat eventually. Um, so yeah, like the, the you know the stuff's pretty interesting. Lots of um, yeah, the legendary stuff is pretty strong. Comes through very strongly in the deck as well. Um, and I mean, looking at I mean, the most expensive card in the entire list is I think four and a half bucks. I think. I think braids might be the most expensive card. Four dollars and fifty cents. Oh, Bantu's Monument. My mistake. Bantu's Monument, uh, Monument is, is the most expensive one. Dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, but I mean, even that, <laughs> six bucks yeah. is not outrageous. No, it doesn't so, make a bank. No. So Grand Total comes with about 100 bucks. And you get a deck that's going to, has a game plan, is going to allow you to put it into motion. And all in all, it makes for a pretty interesting, budget friendly deck to get somebody playing. And then as you go, you're going to, alter and change and amend it to make it reflect your interests. So, uh, I'm a big fan. I think it's pretty fun deck. Uh, I think the strategy is coherent and makes sense. So, yeah. What do you think? I was going to say the only other card that I would potentially consider is Library of Lang. Yeah? Because yeah. Li Library of Lang is a one-man. It's not a legendary artifact, unfortunately. It's just an artifact. But it says you have no maximum hand size. If an effect causes you to discard a card, you discard mm -hmm. it, but you may put it on top of your library instead of into your graveyard, um, which is cool because you can just keep yep. cycling the same card, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. um, and like, there's weird situations with Drake Haven with like a land and bone, and this creature called Bone Miser. Whenever you discard a land, add two black. Whenever you discard, although that doesn't actually work the way it will. Never mind. Just forget what I said. Um, library of Land <laughs> might be a consideration, but. I think the deck as is is fantastic. I think it'd be fun to play. And I'm grateful that Bruce decided he wanted to build this in paper. So, good stuff. Uh, uh, this is going to be my build for March of the Machine. I think this is uh, something that's kind of fun. Um, it kind of plays into the way I already build Demir decks in Commander. Um, I have a Drown New deck, a Drown New Lich Lord deck, which sort of is the same idea where we're looking to untap my Commander frequently for a very different purpose, but same idea. I'm going to untap and tap my, my commander for, for value um, and then do something gross with it. This is sort of the same vein um, and is uh, looks pretty fun. So, yeah, uh, if you want to check it out, the link will be in the show notes and you're welcome to have a look and uh, I'd love to hear what, what, you, what would you add to make this deck go um, or uh, what, what, have I, what have I overlooked in order for us to move forward? I think that's going to be it. All right, so we're going to wrap up tonight's show um, by wishing you all the very best wherever you next play Magic. Uh, look for us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and please check the show notes out for uh, links to the Discord, for Lotus Council, 
for our deck list and for how to reach out to us on social media. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for a great week. Thanks for carrying us to 140. Here's to another 140. You know, let's 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 break the 300 threshold, right? Right, Bruce. <laughs> yes, indeed. I would look in, not, not, nothing would make me happier than getting the 300. Um, that's a long list off, but uh, one step at a time. Let's get to 141 first. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful night. Good night, folks. Peace.